Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavage, and this is a podcast where you can discover debut authors through in-depth conversations about their books, life, what inspires them, and everything in between. If you love what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations, and please follow on all social media at daybeautiful. Before I get started with today's first podcast episode of 2021, I want to give a shout out to Jared and Raquel, the masterminds behind the band Rocky Colin. I asked them to make me a dreamy lullaby for my intro and extra music, and they delivered full stop. So please support them at Rocky Colin. They are just amazing musicians and amazing friends. So thank you so much. This is the first podcast episode of 2021, and I cannot be more excited for today's guest. She has an MFA from the University of Iowa and a master's in comparative literature from Dartmouth. She rides a pink motorbike and splits her time between Brooklyn and an off-grid cabin in Vermont. I am talking about Tori Peters, the author of the debut novel, Detransition Baby, out now via One World. Hey, Tori, how you doing? Things are going pretty well here. I'm, you know, two days left in 2020 and can't wait for 2020 to be gone and for my book to finally... Yeah, yeah. I am so excited. Detransition Baby is one of the is the first book that everyone needs to buy, and and you are my first guest in twenty twenty one. Tell us a little bit more about your your first full length novel, Detransition Baby. Well, it's a story of this woman named Reese. She's a trans woman, and she's her life is a bit messy. Picture sort of like sort of like a trans flea bag in New York. And um, her ex, who is a detransitioned trans woman, comes to her with this proposition, which is that um, he, at that point, was using key pronouns, has gotten his boss pregnant, and he proposes that they all raise the baby together. And the story is sort of what happens after that. And that, this relationship right off the bat sounds complicated, and which is like what 2021 is like all about like life right now isn't the binary that we were conditioned to believe it needed to be about um i guess i, I before we dive more into the book though i do want to talk about your two novellas that you have out and and i want to talk about how those two pieces helped informed or maybe not informed detransition baby what were those novellas about Sure. Have you read them? You I have read not them? read you... them. I did not. And I, and like, after I finished your book, I put them on my, like, I need to read these. And I just, I meant to read them before we talked and I just, time slipped by. No, I mean, if you had read them, I would have been surprised. That's why I wasn't like grilling you on it. I just sort <laughs> of like, well, came across those. Um, yeah. So I actually self-published those. Mm-hmm. And um, I was doing this thing at the time where I was sort of um, in doing this, literary thing t for t which is trans for trans where i was writing trans stories for trans people where i sort of assume baseline knowledge of your trans so nothing really has to be explained Mm -hmm. and if we don't have to explain anything we can just like dive right into the story and dive right into like really hard parts of the trans experience Mm -hmm. without worrying about what people would think of that so the first one was called The Masker, and it was about um, sort of, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a story of a, a young trans woman basically trying to figure out 
uh, whether or not she's trans or whether she just kind of like has a fetish for like wearing women's clothing, like whether she's just a trans type, because historically that's been a that's been something that's sort of wielded against trans women that if you are like into the idea of yourself as a woman that you're not really trans or that there's something wrong with you even though women themselves are into the idea of themselves as women um but somehow that idea of women being into themselves as women doesn't apply for trans women so it was it was a story about that um that girl really kind of running into her own sexual fantasies and trying to figure out whether in like Vegas, which is just hard, everything's fantasy in Vegas mm-hmm. anyway, and trying to figure out what's real. And then the second novella is a, it's funny to do a pandemic, you know, post-apocalyptic story during, during a pandemic, but it was 2016. So it's, it didn't seem as, uh, it's difficult, but basically, it's it. What happens is that these trans girls release a virus that causes the body to stop producing um, sex hormones or the precursor to sex hormones. Uh, it's actually based on a real way that they. Um, it's like a way of keeping pigs from breeding, um, and so it's like modified for humans, and. Um, so then everybody has to choose what synthetic hormones to take. And so essentially the entire world has to choose their gender and the whole world kind of falls apart when their when gender is, has to be like addressed directly. But the, the actual sort of story is about trans, the interrelationships between trans women ourselves and the ways that like there can be so much ang- anger in the community that you can like end the world and we can't get along with each other. And, and um, there's so many factions within the trans community. It's not monolithic. So the book, once the world starts to fall apart, it's not just the, the whole world that's falling apart. It's actually the community itself splinters along those factions. And the like utopic idea of everybody has to choose their gender is actually really difficult. Mm. And, and, and this that idea that these two novellas were were you know that t for t t for t idea where it's like you have to have a baseline of the trans community and you could just dive right into it do you feel readers need to know or have a baseline of the trans experience and community and life for detransition baby well what i came to think is that actually um everybody can kind of keep up, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that cis people don't actually need their hands held. And it's more like the publishing industry or like sort of ideas of what cis people need that you have to like do a one-on-one in order to dive into a story. But I started thinking about this, like just reading quotes from Toni Morrison, who was basically like, I write for black women and everyone else can keep up. Mm-hmm. And what that ended up being is that her work was just amazing story right from the start instead of like stopping and holding people's hands and i actually think that cis people too don't necessarily want to be like in a 101 class in order to even like join in on a story they want to they want to go from the start same as everybody wants to just like let's just hit it and um so as i was working on this you know as i worked on those two other novels and then i began thinking about this 
it was, it seems like, well, um, the, the things that I'm writing about, I think have interest to cis readership. Mm -hmm. So who am I to say what cis people should be interested in? Like if they're interested, let's do it. I, I love that because I, as a, you know, cis white man, I don't, I don't need my handheld. I know a lot about the trans community. I've have a lot of trans friends. I've read a lot of trans writers and I don't call them trans friends or trans writers. They're friends and writers like to me, you know, and, and I feel the, the publishing world and the readers are ready for these stories finally. And I think that also like, you know, for me, one of the things that I was learning and it was had to do with infected friends and loved ones and sort of like, you know, the way the trans community can like fracture is that my own experience wasn't like a perfectly like this, the lines or borders of trans, you know, encapsulate me. It's like the book is dedicated to divorce cis women because I was thinking about people I have affinity with, people I learned from, people who've been role models to me. And I was like, well, cis women who get divorced, they're, they start over their lives. They have to reinvent themselves. They have to think about, um, you know, giving, not reinvesting in old illusions and things like that. And I was like, well, I actually have a real affinity with divorced cis women. And my experience looks a lot like that of divorced cis women. So maybe divorced cis women are, are my readership as much as trans women and the divorced, you know, divorced cis women are able to do the sort of work of like seeing analogs in our experiences and that we can like learn from each other. So that was like another piece for it was to begin to see that, that it wasn't just that like, I was like, this book can, can, can speak to cis people, but it was like, I, I kind of stopped limiting who I thought my audience was along kind of identity lines. Did that realization come while you were, writing the book or kind of before you dove into it and you realized there's boundaries that you don't need to really worry about? Um, I mean, I think it was like a, it was a slow process. Mm -hmm. The book was supposed to be another novella. Like I was doing this, I wanted to do like a novella cycle of like five novellas, each in a different genre. So like Masker was horror. In fact, your friends and loved ones was like post-apocalyptic fiction. And this was going to be a soap opera. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I want to do melodrama. And, um, you know, melodramas are long. So suddenly I was like, this isn't really a novella. And number two, um, as I was writing it, it just took more time and my thoughts kind of changed. Um, and I, I think, you know, I started reading these books by, I don't know, Rachel Kosk or Elena Ferrante or... Um, Books, books that were like about women who were like kind of ferociously starting over and especially who were like going through divorces and the books kind of, they sort of emotionally saved me. Like the, the arcs and the ways that these women were making choices in their life was like, I actually want to make choices the way that these characters are making choices. I want to be ferocious the way these characters are ferocious and I found myself like modeling my own life after fiction that was by and about divorced women. And if I modeled my own life that way, well, and then I was telling the story of trans women, it was like, I was telling the story of divorced women by like one or two levels removed. So 
the more that I needed it, the more it just kind of bled into the book and became a natural thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and with the three main characters, or the three characters of focus at least, um, you talked about how they're all interconnected, but they're also leading different lives than than each other. Were those three always at the forefront of your mind, or did those develop as your thoughts about how stories can be told developed? I think that that I had started with those characters, but the voices came to me later. Um, Reese's voice came to me first, and then the sort of Ames who detransitions has a sort of is in a sort of dissociated state. Um, I would say, and like finding that sort of dissociated voice was a little. It took me a little while. Um, I think I found his voice about. Oh, sorry, Carla. Totally I found his voice like uh, maybe two or three months after I found Reese's voice, and I was kind of just like messing around. And then um, I started it when I first did it. Katrina was going to have it was going to be free and direct style from all three characters, but I realized that there were so many stories of cis women writing about their pregnancy, and there just weren't that many stories by about trans women talking about pregnancy. And so I was like, well, for the sake of the reader, if I do if I do Katrina's inside of Katrina's head as well, um, number one, I think there's other women who've done this better, but number two, the book's gonna be one third again as long. So uh, I, I sort of was like, I'm gonna defer to these other women who've done this story incredibly well and I'll tell the story from the perspectives I think people have never heard before. Um, and, and also just make sure that I try and do give, do Kadrina justice, even, even still within that sort of technical framework that I found myself kind of working in. With Reese's and Ames voices, you said Reese came to you first. Yeah. Did, um, were they equally easy because, you know, they're going through two very different things um, or did you find one just more easy to flow out of you? Reese's was easier for me um, just because the way that she's um, a little snarky or the way she's like her sense of humor, especially started it like four or five years ago and her lifestyle and her humor was a lot closer to mine. Um, so it was Reese's the way Reese's is, pretty easy to just kind of like borrow. Um, Ames came to me with a little bit more difficulty because I think there's a part of me that, that as I was writing it, things were pretty hard and I was thinking about detransition and I was thinking about times that I felt pretty dissociated and the ways in which I, you know, would sort of like watch myself as a person interacting in the world and that way of being is a little muted so finding a voice you know finding a way to voice a sort of muted way of being in a way that's vibrant and that is you know funny um because that situation can be pretty funny uh was it was a little bit it was a little bit um more difficult and at times more painful you know there's a the section that happens at glamour boutique um 
which is really the longest chapter from Ames point of view, that, that came like, that came all in a rush um, after sort of working on it a year where I went through a breakup and, um, and I sort of found a way to meld sort of the sadness of that breakup into, and the ways that I wanted to hide from the sadness into a kind of detransition voice. But that was, that was, and then after I had that, then I just, I had Ames for the rest of the book, but it was, it was like, I needed to already be sad to be willing to go to a sad place of that voice, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. And I, I feel like the, the characters, like I said, someone who understands enough of the trans experience, but obviously hasn't lived it they they leap off the page and you made them so accessible and like you said you know it's it's not for cis people to have their hand held they jump right in and and i really feel like you did a great job of of these multiple experiences being explained and and really taken deeply but not like yeah like you know people need to keep up with it this is life um and Ames, yeah, yeah, Ames is just such a great character. I'm glad you like him. I like him too. And you know, I think, I think I've read reviews of it that was like, oh my god, like I can't believe you you like wrote this stuff. This is like this is like an inside conversation. You made it an outside conversation. And um, we're like, I'm really so scared of, about what's going to happen when cis people read this in certain ways. And um, for me, I, I felt like I just had to just, I think that there, it has been really hard because there's been repercussions historically for writing these kind of stories, you know, for sort of airing dirty laundry a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so, so, but when you're, when you hide what's kind of true about the experience, it's harder to make vibrant characters. So kind of giving myself permission to be basically be like, well, I hope other trans people forgive me for like, writing the secrets, you know, um, well, I hope they, I hope, you know, I hope they see themselves represented and it's okay. And I'm sure some who are like pretty pissed about it, <laughs> but yeah, I, I needed to do it. Were you ever worried about those repercussions or is it just the other readers who are kind of pushing that now? Like, that you aired dirty laundry. Were you ever worried about that? I mean, I was so worried when I wrote the massacre, you know, like the massacre to me is like the most kind of extreme thing I, I've, I've written in terms of selling out trans people. And when I say selling them out, I, I mean that with like love, like treating them like their stories are not taboo. And I think that transphobia just kind of in the world makes it, feel taboo to tell the truth about these experiences where you can be, you know, you're not given space a lot of times to be a flawed character or confused, you know, have confusion about gender, you know, that if you say I'm confused about gender as a trans person, it's like, well, you must not really be trans or you must have an ulterior motive or something, um, which really hampers you as a fiction writer if you, if you, if you believe that. So for me, I, I, when I did the massacre, it was just sort of like I was in a place in my life where I was like, 
you know, screw it. I'm just going to completely say how I feel. And then people were mad, but more than that, you know, there were people who I felt like people understood it and they were like, Oh, like we can't believe that this experience can be written about. Um, which it wasn't like I had like some amazing ability to write it. It was just like what I, what I worked up was the ability to like not be scared to write it. Um, so after the massacre, I, I did get some, some people who were pretty pissed, but that also sort of in some ways I think a nerd was like a small scale experience of what I think may well happen with this book and is starting to a little bit. Mm. Uh, yeah, I so you mentioned like the like that you have seen reviews or seen comments um about people who are pissed with this. I I guess this is a very dumb question. Does that bother you or do you feel like, you know, this is a necessary step in trans literature? I think it's a necessary step. I mean, again, I've, I've already mentioned Toni Morrison yeah. once, but I did like the sort of trajectories of other minority literature. And, you know, if I look at, like, literature by Black Americans, like, you know, something like Invisible Man or, like, Richard Wright, like, th those pissed off a lot of people, you know? It, it was, they weren't respectable stories. They were stories full of, like, anger or ugliness and, like, making fun of, making fun of oneself, you know? And, but those are the books that, you know, they were taught to me because they were the books that I think spoke to so many people because they told the truth. So, you know, for me, I, I, that was kind of seeing that that had happened in other, other like sort of genres of minority literature made me feel like, well, I think this is the right thing to do. I think this is the way to, to tell these stories. Um, and I, I really believe in it. And because I believe in it, it, it bothers me in that, like, I don't like it if someone's feelings are hurt. And I, I mean that both in terms of trans trans people, but I, I mean it even in terms of, like, transphobes. You know, like, I feel like a lot of transphobic people freak out about trans people because they're scared or they've had trauma, you know, and they're, they're, they're hurt, you know? Like, and so writing a book that... that writes into pain and if it hurts people i i don't love that but i do think that that is part of the work the literature does and it's one of the reasons why i also tried to make the book like funny you know and to like to give some joy while we're doing this you know and to, to be able to laugh at myself this was a you said four or five year journey for detransition baby um did you was and it was gonna be another novella in that cycle <clears throat> excuse me an, another novella in that cycle were you when it became long and became a bigger project were you still thinking about self-publishing or was there like oh the the publishing world is ready for this story like did you know that pretty early on i well, i mean i'd hoped it was that but i think also the world evolved with me as i was writing it mm -hmm. you know I think, I think the difference between um, 2015, 2016, when I started it, and now is actually quite different. You know, you've had Transparent on Amazon, you've had Pose, you've had, you know, Caitlyn Jenner, you've had, 
I mean, Caitlyn Jenner had happened while I was writing like the masker, but um, people are just more familiar with it. Like Gen Z, it's like mm-hmm. the place and stuff. And so that, it was, and that happened, I think, during the time I was writing it. Also, I think that at the first time I, when I first started doing it, I was kind of mad at the publishing industry. I was like, they don't know how to handle these stories. And then as I, as I sort of, like my life got a little bit more stable and I started like looking into what I was doing, I was like, well, actually I think it is happening, but if I want it to happen in the way that I believe, I need to be part of it, you know? Um, Cause I would see articles about trans stuff or, you know, trans narratives in the media and I'd be like, I don't really think that narrative is very good or I don't think it's very um, honest. Um, or I think it has like a hidden agenda that doesn't make for good art. And so I was like, well, it's happening. So I, I, if I want to see the world in the ways that I believe makes for good art, I, I should really jump in on it. Um, so, and then, um, and then after that, it was just kind of like a, a logistical question. There's things like, I was, I gave away my novellas for free. Mm-hmm. Um, of the time that was like a political choice it was like i wanted i wanted trans women to be able to get these novels so you could pay for them if you wanted but you could also anonymously download them for free which is works for a novella i think but i think for a novel you know paying for printing it or expecting people to the whole thing if they just get it for free like they probably just wouldn't mm. and so it was the way to get this I'm always interested in the way that when books circulate, they actually end up in people's hands, you know, like how do you actually get books in people's hands? And when I wrote those novellas, I knew how to get them into the hands of trans women. I knew where trans women like hung out on the internet and things like that. But once I started thinking about sort of like divorced cis women in this larger audience and how do I get these books into people's hands? Like how do these books circulate? Um, Not trying to reinvent that wheel myself and being like actually the publishing industry is very good at this and um and i i would trust them to get this books into the hands of say like divorced cis women mm-hmm. there could be an exchange and affinity um so so all of that sort of changed in both in terms of the logistics of actually distributing a, a book as big as a novel and um where to actually find readers um and the culture, they all changed over the course of the writing of the book. And I know your experience is your experience in, in the publishing world. It's not speaking for all trans writers or all writers in general. But once you found a home for Detransition Baby, what, what did that look like? Were they pretty accepting of the story you told or was there a little molding that came with it? I know like other writers have spoken about the editing process, but what was it like for you? I mean, I got incredibly lucky. I got so lucky with my editors. I had um, Victor Ng and Caitlin McKenna, Victor Ng and Caitlin McKenna, um, where the t- Victory left halfway through the process to go uh, found a queer monast- Buddhist, uh, sorry, queer Buddhist monastery upstate. Um, so, but Victor was, was non-binary, still is non-binary, but, um, and, so work it. So there was a trans person 
at Random House who wanted to work on it. So I worked it with uh, Victory and Victory, Victory called me out on stuff that was necessary for me to be called out on, but also understood stuff and was like kind of willing to have it go where I needed to go. And then when Victory left, Caitlin McKenna took it over and Caitlin happened to be pre pregnant at that moment. Mm -hmm. So it was like this incredibly fortuitous situation where there was a trans person and a pregnant cis woman working on this book and it felt super collaborative. So then that happened. And I think, you know, when they, when, when Caitlin took it to Random House, they weren't sure what, they weren't sure they'd never published a book quite like this. So they're like, um, you know, they passed it around within the company. And I think there were sort of like three or four different rounds in which it kind of was read internally. And each time, they were they sort of had conversations they're like do you think this book is maybe actually like a mainstream book like and then they'd be like yeah i think it is like maybe actually this isn't just like a niche queer book mm -hmm. and so you could sort of feel that this people within the company coming around they pushed back the publication date to sort of like do more in terms of a run-up with it um and so really it was like a slow build there was never a moment in which i didn't feel supported but i feel extremely supported by them in a way that i would have never dreamed of and it's been like cool to watch that support build slowly and to know it's like come from them actually believing in the book that it wasn't like the book went through the hurdles and each time it did they committed to it again and stronger yeah, it's so lovely to hear. And, and it's funny, like you, you said, you know, they realized it wasn't a queer niche book and it, it could be mainstream. I, I And I know like th that's, I just feel like this is such a mainstream book in so many ways. It touches on so many themes for cis people, for trans people. And it's so great that like the publishing industry and, and, you, and your experience has allowed this story to be mainstream. Yeah, I mean, it's true. It's like you know, I feel like, uh, you know, cis people have gender too. And it's nice actually for people to be like, yeah, we can actually, we have things to say or we have things to exchange on this topic. Um, and, uh, and to really feel like people didn't support the book because they were like, oh, we think this is like the right identity to support in this moment. I think they supported it because it spoke to them. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the excitement was genuine, which I, it sounds like very like, uh, I don't know, like maybe wishful thinking, but but I, I came into this as a cynic. I, I expected, I, expect, I had cynical expectations and, um, it was really wonderful to like have genuine and like earnest appreciation for the for what the editors and people at Random House did. Oh, it's so great to hear. Um, ha have you? Ha has there been? Uh, how do I want to phrase this? Do you feel that there are some people in the publishing world who are picking books by queer writers? non-binary writers, trans writers, for the fact that they, quote, like, not need to, 
but you know, like for optics, have you felt that in any way in the, in the publishing well, world? I, I haven't because okay. I think, I think there's a fear that like, I think that that's a narrative that's out there, mm-hmm. but you know, if people, I had somebody say to me like, well, I wanted to publish a book, but you know, I'm a cis white man right now. So it'd be pretty hard. And I wanted to like look at him and be like, I'm the first trans woman writing a book about trans women this way ever to be on a big five, you know, like the, the idea that there's like a, a whole bunch of people out there looking for, for trans people for this narrative. I think that's just not borne out in the number of books that are being published. You know, I think it's like, I think that the idea that that's happening uh, is, is it gets circulated on the internet or, or, or people are worried that like, there's this like kind of like affirmative action for minority writers, but I but I actually think that minority writers are just writing good books, and there still aren't very many being published. Or if they are being published, they're not being given the same. Like, this, did you see like this summer when everybody posted their advances? Like all these, you know, Jasmine Ward got you know like a national treasure. Uh, of a writer got the same kind of advances of like, you know, mid list people you've never heard of were getting. And it's like hard for me to think that, that, that the narrative about, Oh, they're really looking for this. And, um, that somehow people could be over-resented, over overrepresented when you actually look at like the numbers and what people are getting. Like there's so many good writers, uh, so many like good writers who are, who are trans, who are black, and they're not, they're just not getting that much. So like, I kind of just want to be like, where, you know, like point it, point to me where this is happening. When I hear people say that at the same time, cause I understand, like, I don't mean just to sound like, oh, I, I'm refuting your question. At the same time, I think there is um, a lot of anxiety about that in the publishing industry, like after sort of like American dirt and, and the, like that, I think people understand there's a market for it, but they're still learning how to actually be ethical in that market, how to like still value really good writing, you know? Yeah. And with the whole idea of like a white man saying, Oh, it's a difficult time for me. It's never a difficult time to be, I mean, like, you know, a white man that's the most yeah. privileged race and gender and whatever ever it, you know it's like when when guys say that to me i don't i can't do much other than like blink and be like i guess what you're feeling is real like I, yeah um, i guess you know but i don't like i, I counsel you to like maybe take a little bit more perspective on it I, you know but i yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Yeah, I, um, I I talked about this before on the on Twitter and then maybe on a podcast episode. But the only quote unquote hate mail Day Beautiful has ever gotten was a direct message from a white male writer saying, "Why do I hate white men so much? Because I guess I like featured women like more or black writers more." And I was like, "Listen, I don't feat. I just re- I read good books. Write a better book, and I'll feature you." <laughs> Yeah. Like, like I don't know what you want from me. Yeah, that's uh, 
that's that is the best advice write a good book um, and, you know it's like it's nice for me when people say that to me to, to like be able to point to things like this where I'm like, well, I think actually people didn't choose me because I'm trans. I think people chose me because I wrote a good book, mm-hmm. you know, it's arrogant, but I spent a lot of time writing it. Uh, so I hope, I hope it's not just, you know, I think that I hope it's a good book. And I, I think that there's, I think that the trans experience, I mean, for me, the book was very interesting because I, I self-consciously, I kind of wanted to write, a bourgeois novel, you know, like a domestic novel about marriage, about pregnancy, about things that people don't normally think that they're going to see trans women. And the trans thing was like, not so much, a, oh, here's like, let me push my political views. I was like, I actually think that these experiences reveal something about this way of writing, the, the sort of expectations that are brought to it as a reader. And that can like, it can really deepen the the genre and it was like an art that it was to to put trans the trans experience into conversation with like the bourgeois novel and like the whole history of the bourgeois novel and the domestic novel that to me felt as much like an artistic choice as a political choice um and i i hope what was fun about exploring it was like what it offered me artistically yeah i feel like this novel you know, if I wanted to explain to a friend what the plot is, I could. I don't have to mention, you know, tra- trans at all. I could just like, like that's a part of the story, just like it's a part of life. And yeah, I just feel like the story itself stands on its own. And I don't feel like people, if people want to politicize the book, they can. But you know, this is a story about real people in the new millennium. Yeah, I'm still working. Maybe maybe I could tell from the beginning. Like I'm still working on my elevator pitch for the novel, and um, you know whether or not I, I have it two ways. One in which I sort of like emphasize detransition and, and trans aspect of of their lives, and one in which it's just sort of like there's a woman who wants to be a mom. Her ex gets somebody pregnant and says, "Do you want to raise a baby with me?" You know, and, and the when I say it that way, people are like, oh, I get the plot. And then when I sort of add the trans aspect, that's when people are like, wait, what happened? You know, and I understand that. Like, but the I think that's actually the way it works as a book is that, um, is that because I just take this as natural, mm-hmm. what sounds like a complicated plot actually, when you actually start writing it, like, and like sketch out, here's the plot points, you know, here are the beats. It's not that complicated. Exactly. And I guess at the, at the beginning of the conversation, I think I said how their lives were now too, and I, I wonder if that was complicated. Because, yeah, this is, I guess if you, if you told someone or I told someone who said, who straight white people, they'd be like, yeah, no, it's not just that. Yeah, it's like they're, they're trying to find a baby. Like, you know, we know the story. And, and so it was like, well, what, yeah, that to me, what was interesting was like, well, I had trans, and how does that like change a lot of the ways that this looks or, or doesn't change it, you know, like for me, a lot of the experience of like living as a woman, um, what's hard about it or what, you know, what, what was especially challenging to me historically wasn't trans aspects. It was the same thing. And that's why I like reading books by, you know, a lot of like 
famous women writers were comforting to me because it wasn't like I needed to find a trans experience or a book by trans people to basically be like, why does it feel weird to be catcalled on the street? You know, that was, there's a whole world of things out there that speak really easily to trans people. And I think it's just like, we're at a place where like now trans people can kind of speak back and that cis women can see reflected in trans experiences their own things that have happened with them and, and ways of seeing the world. And I'm, I'm really excited about those conversations. Like I need them both artistically and personally. Yeah. And, and, and I think I'm excited for it. I'm excited for what people are going to say about this book. Cause I feel like it's a book that is, is needed to kick off 2021. And, and, and you said how like you point to experiences like this, where, you know, day beautiful didn't pick you because you're a trans writer. They picked you because detransition baby is the best book I read. That's coming out in January. And that's how that's how I pick the podcast, right? Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited for this book to come out, um, and 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 also excited to see what comes next from Tori Peters. You know, like I I can't wait to dive into those novellas that maybe you didn't anticipate someone like Adam reading. No, I mean, I the it was it's been really nice to see what kind of like tale those novellas have because they were. The, on the back of them, it literally says like limited printing of um, 350 mm-hmm. copies, you know, of these novellas. Because that's what I figured I would sell was around, I just number them up to 350. And, you know, now I don't even sell them myself. I just let people buy them if they want. And they're, you know, I ran out of the limited number within like the first couple of months. So it, it feels like it feels cool that these things that like physically you can tell they were meant in this one, in this one place in this one time. Now they're, they show up, they show up all over and it, it, it's actually like quite heartening, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, and I always like to wrap up. Well, so thank you for talking about your book and your experience with publishing this and, and, and everything. And I always like to wrap up with, you know what? What what have you been reading? What did, what got you through twenty twenty? What are you excited to read in twenty twenty one? All right, I'll talk about this book that is to me is I was most excited about this fall was Ayato Tar's Homeland Elegies, mm. um, which I actually speaking of just like other stories that relate to trans things in these really strange ways. I read Homeland Elegies and I thought it was like which is sort of like a Muslim American and kind of like the Trump era in auto fiction. And what I really thought it it is an exploration of seemingly identity, but really what it seemed like is an exploration of money and the ways that like money is working right right now. Like in the middle of it, there's this great, essentially a great Gatsby story. Um, Only unlike Gatsby, the Gatsby style character never gets caught. There's no repercussions that were like we're living in a Gatsby era with no Gatsby morality mm-hmm. um, and that like strangely enough actually feels a lot to me like related to the kind of questions that I have as a trans woman and that a lot of my friends have as trans women because we're, we're, we're at a place where someone like me can actually I actually can publish a book with like a big five press mm-hmm. and the ways in which that like sort of fractures ideas of, of 
of identity and what you owe to different people. And like, you know, part of the Muslim, the story of, of the, the Muslim guy who is the Gatsby character is that in some ways he's seen as betraying his community in order to get rich. And like, we're at a place with, with in the trans community where like, that's actually an option now for some trans women. You know, it has never been before. And, and so to read it, to read it the way that Ayad Akhtar talked about it, um, an experience totally unlike mine, it was actually like, I think that it might have been the book that I talked about with my trans friends more than almost any book. I want to thank Tori so much for being the first podcast guest of 2021 on the Debutiful Podcast. I cannot wait for those conversations to be had about Detransition Baby and other queer and trans literature that's coming out. It's going to be an exciting time for what we can expect from literature. Please follow Tori Peters on the internet at ToriPeters.com. You can follow her on Twitter at Tori Peters. She's also on Instagram at Tori Adora. I'll link all of those in the show notes. As always, you can discover more debut authors at debutiful.net, on Instagram and Twitter at debutiful. If for some reason you still use Facebook, I'm also there. As always, I'm Adam, this is Debutiful, and you're all beautiful. Oh, are you still listening? If so, you're probably a super fan of Debutiful or really love debut authors. To keep Debutiful the site and podcast ad-free, I am going to start releasing t-shirts coming soon in February. So if you love debut authors and want to keep supporting Debutiful, be on the lookout to purchase a shirt I can only describe as being 1990s library realness. All right, I'm really signing off this time. See you next time.